Welcome to Genuine Life Recovery. We're here to help you and your loved ones overcome addictions and other addiction-related mental health challenges. In this show, we dive into the physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual aspects of addiction, mental health, recovery, family dynamics, codependency, and more. You can listen on your favorite app or at jodystevens.org. Genuine Life Recovery is made possible by great friends like Joshua's Heart in memory of Joshua Brent Moore, bringing hope, love, and awareness to those afflicted by addiction online at joshsheart.org and Jody Stevens Productions for commercial voiceover, narration, production, MC, and public speaking online at jodystevens.org. Hey friends, welcome back. Today we're going to be talking about recovery treatment, like what in the world happens in recovery treatment. Flying solo on this one and I just want to kind of give you some insight into that world of treatment because, you know, a lot of times people are struggling with an addiction, right? Or their loved one is struggling with an addiction or maybe another, you know, mental health disorder and it's like, you need to get into treatment and a lot of people are like, okay, I get that I need to get into treatment. What does that involve? What happens in treatment? What's that all about? And how do I even know who to call? So that is what we're going to be chatting about today. Wanted to give you a little update on what's going on in my world and what's going on with me. So I recently completed my MS, a Master of Science in uh, Addiction Counseling. So I'm excited about that. And I did that through Grand Canyon University and got my practicum. So the practicum is where you're actually in a treatment center and you're, you're basically doing time there. <laughs> so I did that. That took like four months months and I did that at an opiate treatment center called the Life Change Center here in uh, Reno, Nevada. They have three locations. And so I host a podcast for them as well, and that one's called Recovery and Company, and that one deals with fentanyl and the opiate crisis and uh, opioid addiction and all of those sorts of things. So just finished up that, and then I'm also doing some uh, recovery coaching, speaking, and then just working on developing this podcast, Genuine Life Recovery, and launching that onto terrestrial radio so I can kind of have it on you know, radio and then also podcast. So that's what I'm doing. Pray about that. <laughs> if you feel so compelled to pray for me, <laughs> uh, I would love that. And if you need me to pray for you, please feel free to reach out and I would love to do that. Um, so the other thing I like to do on this program is to answer any questions that you might have. You can reach out with questions as well. My email is genuinelife at jodystevens.org, J-O-D-I-E-S-T-E-V-E-N-S. Samantha had a question about this very topic, and she gave me permission to mention her name on the program, wanting to know what happens in recovery treatment and who to call. So again, that tends to be um, an issue for a lot of people because anybody who's ever gone through like therapy, let's say, right? Sometimes the first one doesn't work or the second one doesn't, doesn't work, or there's not a connection, that type of a thing. And so sometimes it's a trial and error process. Now I wish it weren't like that with addiction and recovery, but unfortunately a lot of times it is. And there are a lot of places that say that they can help you. 
and maybe they can't, right? And then there is a lot of wonderful treatment centers that can help you, right? So it's just like anything else, and you want to find the right place. So the first thing you need to determine is whether or not you or your loved one is actually willing to go to treatment, right? Because we have to be somewhat ready to at least take that first step, right, to work on our addiction. That doesn't mean we have to be, you know, most people, when they come into treatment, they're kind of ambivalent, right? They're kind of like, oh, I don't really think I have a problem. There's a lot of denial, things like that. So a good counselor, a good treatment center can help people through that process. But right, the question is, are they ready to go to treatment or are you just trying to get them in there? Because chances are, right, and, and, and you and I both know this, that your loved one is not going to be ready to go to treatment when you want them to go, right? So, so that's the first thing. But once an individual has entered into treatment, the first thing that's going to happen is an assessment. And it generally, it's going to be a very comprehensive assessment, or sometimes it's called a screening. So if you've ever gone in for therapy, you know how that is. Sometimes it's an in-person interview. Um, a lot of times, maybe they'll send you some paperwork where you're answering a litany of questions. In a recovery center, generally that screening or assessment is going to be face-to-face. It's going to be one-on-one, and it's generally going to be with someone who is, is a counselor or a therapist, and they're going to be doing that intake. They may or may not be your counselor throughout the process. So it just depends. So the first thing that needs to be determined is whether or not the individual needs detox, needs a detox center, right? So there's detox, there's residential treatment, there's outpatient treatment. So it really just depends on how far along a person is in their addiction. So medical detox could be required, and this is generally something that happens at a medical facility, Uh, or usually it happens at a different location other than the treatment center, although some treatment centers can offer both. So this initial piece is crucial to determine. So... Without medical supervision, detox from certain substances like alcohol and benzos, like benzodiazepines, like Xanax and stuff like that can be lethal. They can actually kill you. So because of the way that drugs and alcohol change the brain and change the neurotransmitters and stuff within, you know, certain parts of the brain and body, we have to be very, very, very careful. So, and I've talked about this a lot where with my brother, before he passed from his addiction, he would have these seizures, grand mal seizures. Um, and those can usually happen within like 24 to, to 48 hours after detoxing from alcohol. And again, it can be fatal. And so when we say to someone, oh, just quit, it's not that simple. A lot of times they need medical detox. So it's really, that's like the crucial piece is in determining whether or not the individual needs detox. Now, the individual coming in for treatment is probably going to know that to some degree because most likely they've tried to quit on their own. Opiates is one of the hardest to quit on your own. And and so a lot of times medication-assisted treatment is needed. So like the place where I did my practicum, the Life Change Center, where I do the podcast for them. We're an opiate treatment center. And so they offer treatment like methadone, buprenorphine, drugs like naltrexone. And what those drugs do is help you to to safely titrate or come off the um, opiates without having extreme cravings and extreme withdrawal symptoms and stuff like that. Um, A friend of mine that I was talking to 
who's also a counselor, says that, you know, initially she tries to determine whether the individual can do any sober time at all, right? And that makes a lot of sense because if you can do some sober time, like a couple days here and there, then chances are you're not going to need medical detox, right? Because the medical detox is when literally within like that crucial period, you start having withdrawal symptoms, you start getting sick, you start having, you know, seizures um, and things like that. So that's going to be like step number one, because when people come into recovery, again, there's a lot of neurological changes, physical changes, things like that. And so it's, they're not really in a state of mind initially to address a lot of the psychological stuff that may be underlying the addiction. It's more like dealing with the detox, the cravings, the physical withdrawals, because that's the stuff that needs to be dealt with initially, because that's going to be the initial battle, the initial struggle is getting through that phase. So a good initial assessment is also going to determine the extent of somebody's addiction, somebody's substance use. So like we would want to know how long somebody's been using substances, how entrenched it is in their life. So for instance, is someone like a binge drinker and do they just drink, you know, three or four times a week, but when they do they totally black out? Or is this someone that drinks morning, noon, and night, and then is also using um, maybe opiates or using heroin too, right? That kind of thing. So initially, we'll ask a lot of questions. You know, the age of first use, how much is typically used at one time? Um, You're also going to assess for addictions, like I just mentioned, besides the one in question. So a lot of times people will come into treatment or counseling and they'll have their primary addiction, such as say opiate use disorder, right? They're using heroin, which unfortunately is now fentanyl, which is taking lives at an alarming rate, super scary. Uh, But they also may have a secondary addiction such as methamphetamine use disorder is what they call it, methamphetamine use disorder. Basically they're using meth, right? And so that's common to be doing um, opiates like heroin and meth. So a lot of times they'll do methamphetamine in the morning and opiates at night, right? So one to <laughs> one to wake up and one to gel down, right? I know that's that's it is common. It's kind of scary, but it but it is common. Also, a really good assessment is going to determine questions about your life. So this is really to determine risk factors. So for instance, we would ask about family history of addiction because that's going to point towards really a genetic predisposition to drugs and alcohol. A lot of times people come into treatment, right? Parents were addicts, brothers and sisters. I can totally relate to that. So in my family, there's a pretty strong history of um, alcohol addiction and then some other things like depression and anxiety. So um, alcoholism and depression and anxiety tend to co-occur together a lot, right? And so typically people that are um, drinking heavily and stuff like that, a lot of times they're trying to um, cope with the underlying mental health issues, which we'll we'll talk about in a minute. We would then look at um, the lifestyle. So for instance, if someone's homeless, then they're living on the street and maybe they're staying at a, at a park or somewhere where there's a lot of drugs. Okay, so that's a huge risk factor. 
So one of the main things that we're going to try to do is to get them some immediate help in that area, right? Because it's going to be super hard for someone to come off of drugs, to stay sober when they're living on the street and stuff like that. So, so that's going to be a huge one. Also underlying mental health issues, which we'll talk about. So this process can take quite a long time, you know, it can take anywhere from an hour to up to three hours, right? Depending on the clinic and the services offered. So like for an, an opiate treatment center, that is a little bit more involved because a lot of times they're going to be getting medication too. So if you're going in for that type of a treatment, what's going to happen is you're going to do a comprehensive assessment and then you're going to visit with a doctor or a nurse and then they're going to give you a dose that day of like methadone or whatever it is to help you with with um, withdrawals. So that type of treatment, the initial assessment can take quite a bit longer. It can be pretty long. I've been in assessments that took up to like three and a half to four hours. And so it's during this time that the council will determine the level of treatment that's appropriate for the individual. So generally there's like four levels. There's going to be extreme, which is going to be inpatient and detox like we were talking about. So that would be where an individual is literally staying there 24 hours a day and they're going through detox and they've got 24-hour nursing staff pretty much like hospitalization really, but it's specific to addiction treatment. You know, a lot of times, obviously regular hospitals have to do detox all the time because a lot of times, you know, like when my brother had a seizure, I called 911 and he ended up in the hospital. So a lot of times hospital staff is, is, is doing um, detox as well. But then there's also when you're literally getting someone into treatment, there's also detox centers that specialize in just detox. Makes sense. And so then level three would be, you know, like clinically managed lower intensity. So it's going to be residential treatment and there's going to be doctors and nurses, but it's not like intense, right? Where you have an IV going in and you're literally, you know, titrating or detoxing off of that substance. Level two is like an intensive outpatient service. And then uh, level one is going to be just outpatient. So what that means is um, basically like detox, like I said, would involve medical supervision. Um, inpatient would be live-in treatment, right? Outpatient would be something like counseling and going to meetings and stuff like that. A, a good counselor is going to be able to tell you which level of care that you need or that your loved one needs, and they're going to be able to tell you why, right, based on the that initial assessment. So that's why it's so involved, you know, because really what's happening is trying to determine a treatment plan, right, because everybody's different. Everybody uses drugs and alcohol for different reasons, and everybody has uh, people that struggle with different mental health issues. There's different reasons for those, and then different personalities for different types types of treatment. So it's really trying to figure out, you know, what's going to work, A, what's going to work best for you based on, you know, what you're presenting with your symptoms and stuff like that. You know, you just want to make sure that that you or your loved one is getting a very comprehensive assessment. And I've had um, other people on this program that are therapists as well that have talked about that, you know, just the importance of a really comprehensive assessment. And a good treatment center should also have some great resources for you. They're going to have mental health referrals. They're going to be able to help you with payment options and things like that. My, my friend who I was talking about that's a therapist was basically saying, you know, if a person doesn't fit in the level they're at, they're not going to make it. 
And so that's why it's so important that, right, if you're, if you need to be an inpatient and you can't get hardly any sober time and you're relapsing all the time and you go into treatment and they put you like an outpatient and say, hey, you know, go to a couple of AA meetings a week and it doesn't stick. And then we get mad at our loved ones and like, you just don't want to quit. Well, it's not like that at all. It's they need a certain level of treatment so they can detox and get stabilized, right? It's like when somebody goes to the doctor, it's like stabilize the patient, you know? So you've got, we, we have to determine where you need to be and what level of treatment. Otherwise it's not going to work, right? So that's, that's really, really, really important. Any good treatment center is going to have some staff. They meet with one another and determine the best courses of treatment, the best counselors that might fit with that particular individual, the best medication and stuff like that. So um, a lot of things that happen behind the scenes, right, as it were. The other screening is going to be determining if the individual has other additional co-occurring mental health disorders. So initially when someone comes in, they should be screened for suicide immediately. That's going to be huge because we want to make sure that we're, we don't want the individual's life to be in danger, right? And then there'll be generally like a shorter mental health assessment to determine if there's other co-occurring disorders like um, so what co-occurring means is that an individual comes into treatment and they're struggling with, say, alcohol addiction, and they're also struggling with depression. So that would be co-occurring, that they have an alcohol addiction and also depression. So it's in determining that, or are there other challenges like maybe schizophrenia or personality disorders or things like that? So those are the things that would also be assessed for. And if it's just addiction treatment, then... Um, there will be referrals as well. So the thing with treatment is it, it's a lot of times people don't get the care that they need because maybe they have, um, let's say a drug and alcohol addiction and also a co-occurring mental health disorder like depression or anxiety, and they're not being properly assessed. So if someone's using drugs and alcohol to treat depression, right? And you take away their only lifeline that they feel like it's going to help with that depression. If they don't get help for that depression, chances are they're not going to make it, right? So it's kind of um, a dual effort. You know, you need to have addiction counseling and treatment, but you also need to be assessed for the co-occurring disorder so that you can get help for the other mental health stuff. So it all kind of works together. Does that make sense? And then is kind of determining which one came first. So in other words, a lot of times... We're using a substance to, say, relieve anxiety, but it's actually making the anxiety worse. So the question is, did the anxiety manifest because of the drugs or alcohol, right? Or are the drugs and alcohol being used because of the anxiety? And that's kind of hard to tell. A lot of times, you know, a good counselor or someone with experience, like with addiction, like I can usually tell, like, you know, if an individual is using the substance to treat it or if, or if they had that anxiety long before, does that make sense? Like which came first, the horse or the cart or, <laughs> you know, the chicken or the egg or, or, you know, however you say it. Usually the mental health issue came first, but remember that 
when people have been using substances for long periods of time, generally they're exposed to other types of trauma that they've, that have happened throughout that process. And so, you know, you're dealing with a lot of um, things like that. So again, it, it can just be kind of complex and it really just depends on where the individual is at, you know, for instance, for me doing, you know, I have my MS and addiction counseling, but I'm not a licensed clinician. I just have the, the, um, the education. So I would be doing more coaching, right. And helping people to develop better skills and, you know, coping skills and just help them to change their thought process and things like that around addiction. Um, but then I would be referring them if there were other mental health issues, right. That, those mental health issues that commonly, you know, co-occur. So once that process is done, then the individual, once they're, you know, stabilized and they're working with um, counselor, coach, or whatever to to um, deal with the cravings and the withdrawal and stuff, that's when we start to deal with some of the therapeutic stuff. And again, that differs based on the person as well. Now, I know a lot of you who are listening are Christians like myself, and you're thinking, so how is how all this relate to, you know, biblical concepts and stuff? So there are a lot of um, Christian recovery centers as well. So when you're looking for recovery for your loved one, you can look for a Christian recovery center. Any good Christian recovery treatment center is going to basically have a lot of the same things in place. They're going to do a really good assessment. They're going to have mental health people that are going to help through all of that stuff. It's just that they're going to be incorporating the um, biblical worldview. So this is where people get confused because they think like, oh, if it's if it's treatment or therapy, then somehow it's like sacrilegious or something. Well, no, it's not. There's a lot of great addiction counselors, coaches, and therapists. The difference is that we just have a biblical worldview, right? We, we believe in God and we believe in redemption and we believe that God is intimately involved in all of our lives. And so that's the difference between that worldview and the scientific worldview of the therapeutic approach, which is everything is science-based. That's not that science is bad. It's just, it's bringing the two together. And there's also a lot of great therapeutic approaches that tend to jive really well with biblical concepts. For instance, the 12 steps, right? A lot of individuals with addiction recovery, they're going to be involved in a 12-step program. Well, 12-step programs was basically founded, it found was founded in the Oxford group, which was actually a Christian organization. So that's why the 12 steps jive so well and have scriptures that go along with each step because they're, they're biblical. So once an individual is kind of stabilized and we've gone through the assessment process, then it's then it's determining the best therapeutic approach, right? So some of those would involve um, dealing with an individual's ambivalence. So like I said, a lot of people that come into recovery, they, they are not necessarily ready to quit. They're thinking about it. They're there because their wife made them go. They want to get sober for their kid or whatever, but they're not really sure that they have a problem, right? They call that denial. We use kind of different words for that now (laughs) to make it sound better, like ambivalence, you know, but it's like anything, right? If you want to lose weight, you you go through this process where you're, I want to lose weight, but I really want to eat the cookie. And so you're, you're kind of, you're ambivalent. So there's strategies for that. The one strategy is called motivational interviewing. And it's just a way of working with 
people to help them get in touch with their own intrinsic motivation to want to change, right? So instead of me telling you, oh, you know, alcohol is going to kill you, you already know that. So it's so it's not shame based. It's very much what I'm listening for is what they call change talk, and what that is is where I'm looking for a discrepancy in your behavior where you're saying, you know, I don't really think I have a problem, but every time I drink, my kid won't talk to me. So as um, a counselor, I'm going to be like, Ooh, let's camp on that because you just saw that discrepancy. So that's kind of what that's like. So it's trying to help the individual move them towards change. And then there's other approaches like cognitive behavioral therapy, which everybody um, knows about that. And that's really just helping you with coping strategies and things like really that's basically helping you to change negative thoughts so that you can in turn change your behavior. And this jives really well with biblical concepts because, you know, the Bible tells us to renew our mind so that we can know God's good and perfect and pleasing will for us. So those are concepts that do really well and can mesh really well with biblical concepts. Um, another one is called acceptance and commitment therapy, which was actually founded by a guy from University of Nevada, which is kind of cool. It's a little complex, but basically it's really just about acceptance. And, you know, one of the biblical concepts is accepting that we're, we're powerless over sin and stuff in our lives and that we need our Lord to save us and stuff like that. So acceptance and commitment therapy works really well. And it's really just about accepting some of the difficult emotions that we struggle with, right? So a lot of times we want to find a quick fix for something that we are struggling with. So for instance, we don't want to deal with the anxiety, so we drink. Well, what if we just accepted the anxiety as it was? We said, you know, I have depression and anxiety and I'm going to sit through this and I'm going to accept that I have it while we're working towards change instead of always trying to avoid the negativity and find a fix because sometimes there's not a fix. Sometimes we just have to accept it and then move on. Like we have to try to heal while accepting it because the world is a difficult place and there's always going to be suffering, right? And sometimes there's just not going to be a fix for it. Does that make sense? So those are just some therapeutic techniques that often jive really well with biblical concepts. That's kind of just a, a quick overview of what happens in treatment. Obviously, once you begin the process of treatment, so for instance, if you have a counselor or if you have a therapist or if you have a coach or if you have a sponsor, like through Alcoholics Anonymous, they're going to assign you different things like homework and you're going to work on coping strategies and you're going to work on different ways of dealing with what they call triggers, right? When, when I'm triggered to drink, what will I do instead? they're going to help you develop a plan, right? If you go to a party and people are drinking, what's your exit plan? Who do you call? You know, things like that. Another important thing that you want to determine when looking for treatment is really good um, aftercare, right? That's probably one of the most important things. And any individual that is helping you is actually thinking about termination the minute you come in, because their goal is to get you out of there and get you stable. But so they're always looking at once you get out, right? It's like if somebody gets out of prison, do they have a job lined up? Do they have a healthy community? Do they have a place to go? Do they have some money? Do they have something going on? Because if you, and if they don't have a healthy community outside of that, chances are, 
right, they're going to end up back in prison. Same thing with recovery. You, you may end up relapsing and back in the same place without a good aftercare program. So those are just um, some of the, the basic things that you want to look for. So again, a treatment center that's going to have a good screening or initial assessment, right? And they're going to determine what level of care that you need. And they're going to determine based on that assessment, the type of treatment plan for you or therapeutic approach based on your unique individual situation and personality and stuff like that. And then they're going to recommend a good um, aftercare program for you. So I hope this was helpful. If you know of anyone that could use this information too, please pass it along. And again, um, hopefully this was helpful to Samantha who initially asked the question. And if you have any questions for me, feel free to reach out. It's genuinelife at jodystevens.org. And um, you can listen to this show, Genuine Life Recovery. There's lots of episodes on all sorts of addiction issues, mental health treatments, lots of great interviews. I talk to all kinds of interesting people on this program. You can listen on your favorite app, right on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn. And you can also listen right there on my website at jodystevens.org. So thanks again, friends, for listening and be sure and tune in next time. Thank you so much, friends, for listening to Genuine Life Recovery, playing on your favorite app or on my website at jodystevens.org. It's J-O-D-I-E-S-T-E-V-E-N-S, jodystevens.org. There you can check out my podcast, blog, recovery coaching info, speaking, and more. Check it out.